When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell the story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. So way, way back when we first started this experiment called the Midnight Myth Podcast, we did an episode, uh, I think it was called Cha-Ching, in which we discussed the economics behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I offered a scathing prediction about Marvel's The Infinity War. And I think it goes something like this, we all know what's going to happen, Is anyone really surprised by anything that the Marvel Cinematic Universe does? And I'm here humbly to tell everyone here that Marvel had more tricks up its sleeves than I was willing to give it credit. Since then, since that episode, Marvel has come out with Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and now Marvel's The Infinity War. All of which I think can easily be in the top five most, uh, you know, quality or at least top 10 of most people's idea of what the best Marvel movies are out there. I'm guilty of this too. I have been for a really long time pretty fatigued um, on, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the shared universe idea in general. And I'm here to say, like, I'm, I'm pretty blown away and I'm impressed by what they were able to pull off and what they were able to succeed in with Infinity War. So it goes without saying, this episode is going to be our kind of fresh first response to Marvel's Infinity War. If you have not seen the movie yet, this is going to be very spoiler heavy and we're going to be working through some of the feelings that we have after seeing this movie. So I would recommend uh, if you have not seen it yet, pause, don't be like me, don't get it spoiled for you on Twitter and have it ruin your weekend. Go see the movie and come back and join the conversation with us. Yeah, we typically don't see a movie and then instantly do a podcast after it, but we felt this time around that we kind of had to. We had another podcast planned for this week, but we realized after seeing the Infinity War that we wanted to join in this conversation. So this is a no holds barred 
spoiler-filled discussion of Marvel's The Infinity War. Yep. So we're going to jump in kind of with our impressions, our uh, you know where we went emotionally uh, and intellectually with this. We're going to dig into some of the themes that were put forth and just try to get below the surface of what is going on in this Marvel movie so that we can open up that conversation a little bit further and give it the midnight myth treatment, if you will. Yeah, and this is the first time I think we've discussed a subject, a piece of art, a piece of pop culture with only one viewing. Everything else we've done, we've done multiple viewings of. So because we've only done one viewing, we reserve the right to change our mind after additional viewings. And asleep, yeah. So I'm going to kick this conversation off, and I'm going to say that I loved Marvel's The Infinity War. It was, excuse me, as a fan, I think, as a fan of Marvel and as a fan of comics, to me, it was everything that I could have wanted and more. And But none of the things that you expected. Yes. In many ways. Yeah. Surprised at nearly every turn. So I did not see Thanos winning the Infinity War. I kind of did. I did not think yeah. there was ever going to be a, a universe in which Thanos would walk out the victor at the end of a Marvel movie. Watching a sunset with a smile on his face. And and this is what is, I think, the most surprising thing about this movie is that it is Thanos' movie. Um, we're going to talk a lot about what led up to the creation of Infinity War and the setup and the payoff, but... We know for a fact that over 10 years, over 18 movies, there has been a lot of groundwork laid for this, whether that's character or plot or structure, or even just introducing these little MacGuffin-y things, these Infinity Stones. But what required the most work in this script, in this uh, you know series of performances, was creating that villain in Thanos. And so he actually takes the sort of center stage in this movie as the character who has the most developed arc, a character who has the most um, uh, most expanded upon um, motivation, even though I think his motivation is pretty like, you know, it's pretty simple, but we get it. But it's it's interesting to see a movie where the villain has more time spent on his arc than any of the heroes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, I think... His journey and our journey with Thanos is to understand why Thanos wants the Infinity Stones, which up until this point, we could assume that he wanted to rule the universe. Turns out he doesn't want to rule the universe. He wants to eliminate 50% of all sentient life forms. To bring balance to the universe. He wants to you know, wipe out half of it so that there are enough resources, there's enough food, there's enough space for everybody else. And it it happens at random. It's an egalitarian solution in some ways, even though it's brutal and monstrous by many perspectives, by our perspective. Yeah. And we get the sense that he used to live in a lush and thriving planet called Titan, and that that planet was destroyed and its environment was destroyed, and that he is the sole survivor of that of that the the Titan race. As the sole survivor, he believes that overpopulation, overconsumption of resources, 
leads to all of the strife and problems of the universe. His motivation is to actually have a more healthy and functioning universe. To have a paradise, something that we don't have anymore because we overindulged and overconsumed. And there are pretty transparent parallels to many of the issues that we face today. Uh, even though it doesn't necessarily get talked about as much as other things, overpopulation and overconsumption lead to so many issues worldwide in our, our current state. Uh, but the only way to solve those things are to do monstrous things. So the moral question is a really interesting one to physicalize in this movie, the idea of how do you solve uh, a lack of resources. Right, and one of the things that added to the complexity of the character Thanos was that he doesn't enjoy this, right? So many supervillains get off on the killing. They get off on the brutal ruling just watching like the first Avengers where Loki is the bad guy. He enjoys seeing himself as a megalomaniac. Killing is something that gives him pleasure, right? Thanos doesn't seem to take direct like pleasure from it to him. He's like, I'm the only one willing to see what is necessary and willing to do what is necessary. When he, when he has to get the soul stone, he has to give up the one thing in the whole universe that he loves his adopted daughter, Gilmora, and has to kill her, and he does so with tears. Yeah. You know, when he later has his vision in which he finally collects all of the stones, he seems to be, his spirit seems to be transported to this other realm, and Gilmora as a child is there and asks, hey, what did this cost? His response was, everything. Right. It pained him. And that level of complexity and nuance to, you know, the supervillain of supervillains is something that Marvel has not really been able to pull off on this level. Yeah. And it was touching and it was terrifying and it, it was truly beautiful. Yeah. And, and we saw that character in tremendous anguish and being a character who was like, I have this burden and I'm the only one who can do this. I am the... I'm the only sane mind in a bunch of insane people, essentially. Um, but it touches on what I think one of the major themes, the major overarching themes of this installment of the Marvel Universe is, which is uh, is the idea of sacrificing one for the greater good. Um, and this is a question that numerous characters have to uh, have to confront throughout this um, this narrative, from Doctor Strange to Iron Man to Wanda, Scarlet Witch, um, and then Thanos himself, even Peter Quill, they all have to face this question, saying the universe hangs in the balance, but there is someone who is very, very important to me, and if I have to save the universe, that might mean sacrificing that one person who is important to me. And that gets into uh, a moral philosophy that we've talked, to, we've talked about before on the podcast called utilitarianism, and sees how different characters uh, navigate this moral question of what do you do when the only way to save the world, to save the universe, is to sacrifice the thing that you love most. And this is manifested as well with the character Vision yeah. and the Scarlet Witch. Yeah. So Vision has an Infinity Stone literally powering his entire robotic 
you know, existence. He and the Mind Stone are one. Right. For Thanos to complete his Infinity Gauntlet, he needs the Mind Stone. To get the Mind Stone means that he needs to kill Vision. Vision is also in love with the Scarlet Witch, Wanda Romanoff, and she is in love with him. And because her powers are derived from the Mind Stone itself, her powers are strong enough to destroy the Mind Stone. And the question is, should she destroy the Mind Stone and kill Vision, preventing Thanos from getting all-powerful through the Infinity Gauntlet? And one of the struggles that the heroes are going through, the main struggle, especially for the heroes on Earth, is to protect villain, or pardon me, to protect Vision or to sacrifice Vision. Right. And ultimately it lands where Wanda has to destroy Vision, to destroy the Mind Stone, to stop Thanos. The tragedy of this all being none of it mattered. Right. Because he gets the Mind Stone anyway. Yeah. It reminds me of other stories too. It reminds me of uh, in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows during the Battle of Hogwarts sequence and chapter, uh, Voldemort offers you know, a trade to everybody in Hogwarts and says, if you give me Harry Potter, I will let you live. And that might sound like a pretty good deal to some people. It's like Harry is great and Harry is important and his life matters, but what about all the rest of us? What about the hundreds of kids and hundreds of teachers who are holed up in this place for this guy who we don't necessarily have a stake in? If we just give him away then, you know, we can survive or we can fight for this person. Um, and and that's a, a crazy question. Do you sacrifice your own life? Do you risk your own life to protect something that maybe isn't the most important thing to you? Um, well, so yeah. And the reason the heroes are the heroes, you know, a few times Captain America says this, we don't trade lives. yeah. You know, him saying that lives are not a a commodity by which that we can barter with, even if that means protecting people. We also see Mm T'Challa on the battlefield and his uh, general, oh my God, what's her name? Okoya. Yes, says, this will be the end of Wakanda. And he says, if it's going to be the end, it's going to be an honorable end. Willing to sacrifice all of Wakanda just to potentially you know, stop Thanos from getting his full infinity gauntlet. And so the heroes really do come down on the, the side of sacrifice, put everything out there and do everything in your power to stop great evil from happening. Yeah. And it's helpful for me to have characters like Steve Rogers and to have characters like T'Challa in this universe, because we have such a cocktail of sort of moral um, alignments uh, even just on the Avengers, we all saw Civil War. We all saw that how we could really align with either Tony's side or Cap's side in that because everybody had a point. But to have characters who can say in absolutes, we don't trade lives. We're not acting as utilitarians right now. We are acting in a way that believes all life has value, so we will protect all life at all costs. Even Vision, whose life is Exactly, exactly. It says that life has as much value as mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it it helps me to have that kind of character to ground me, to be my moral compass in this. Because if I'm watching this, 
I might be like, no, throw vision, throw vision to the, you know, the wolves. Let's kill him. Let's take the stone out and let's destroy it. He is not worth, you know, all of us risking our lives over. But to have characters like Wanda who he's so important to her and she loves him so much. And then Cap, who is just like, I, we wouldn't do this for anyone. Yeah. So I want to go through a list here. And this is going to be the bloody bill. This is the death toll. Yeah. And and I think it's helpful to go through the list because it's fucking staggering. It's brutal. So the deaths in this movie, Gilmora, Vision, Loki, Heimdall, in fact, all Asgardians not named Thor, Peter Quill, the Star-Lord, Drex, the Destroyer, Groot, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, Scarlet Witch, uh, Wanda, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Mantis, and half the universe. Yeah. At the end of this movie... Yeah, Nick Fury. Nick Maria Fury, Hill. Maria Hill. At the end of this movie, when the credits, credits rolled, there was silence in the movie theater. I've never seen that. The, the, the hole that this movie punched is, you know, space stone portal size wide. Yeah. You know, and it really punched really hard watching, you know, the Black Panther disintegrate into dust and then watching Peter Parker beg for his life. It was, it was something that I can't believe Marvel did. Yeah. Because one thing that has always been safe in these movies, the heroes have always been safe. And why have they been safe? Because we all want to see them in the sequels until the Infinity War happens. Yeah, and it is something to to look at that and say that not only did they surprise us, did they pull the rug out and take away the characters that we like least expected to be the ones to go, um, but they also infused this the world with with much higher stakes than we have had previously, and they, you know, they they threw this huge curveball at us, and we lost characters that we we were falling in love with and ready to spend another decade with. It was the new guard that left, and the old guard left standing. So, if you listen to our Star Wars podcast um, in the last couple of weeks about Ray, how that series was a changing of the guard. This was a huge gut punch to be like, actually the old generation is left standing and the new generation, the young ones who are going to come and revolutionize it. Boop. They're gone. They're all gone. Yep. They are all literally turned to dust. And they're, you know, of, of course we can look at the slate of what Marvel has coming and we can, we can walk some of this back and we can, remind ourselves that there's a Spider-Man sequel planned. There's a Black Panther sequel planned. Like they're going to come back, right? There's some way for us to turn back time or Captain Marvel is going to come and figure out how to get everybody out of their uh, trapped soul stone universe, wherever they are, whatever your fan theory might be. Um, but it's impossible to leave that movie and not feel that loss, which I think is a tremendous achievement of Marvel in this, uh, in this particular movie because even though we know those things, we still feel the pain. Sure. And we, so to me, it, it's so much more, at least in this moment, it's more impactful for me to go through the process of what this movie meant rather than what it means going forward, yeah. at least right now. I know right. part of the fun of Marvel is trying to predict the next steps. 
and having the conversation of where's the MCU going? What's it going to look like? Of course, yeah. Like, that's a huge part of the fun of this franchise. So I'm not trying to say that discourse is is invalid or wrong, but to me, the the choice to wipe out, you know, half of your heroes, and in particular, all of the the newer heroes, all of the fresher heroes, heroes that just had, you know, multi-million dollar movies that were smash hits and to have those heroes get incinerated at the end of the infinity war to me shows a level of, uh, storytelling courage. Yeah. It's balls. Yeah. That I wasn't aware Marvel was capable of doing and, and, and to be surprised because of that is one of the, the great joys of this movie. And that's, yeah, that's what I think is one of the greatest triumphs of this movie is that for the first time in a while, um, you know, looking back at the last year of movies, you've seen some um, some evolution of their their usual formula, but for the first time in a while, they took really big risks in the storytelling and didn't churn out the same formulaic, uh, you know, piece of, of popcorn. Uh, and they they threw some things at us that we were in no way expecting and that have serious consequences going forward. And that was, I think a a really powerful thing to do for that story. Yeah. Um, and it means going forward that no one is really truly safe. Right. And that level of not knowing how it's going to end, like where it's going to resolve makes it for me more interesting because I can't predict the outcome. I'm more willing to want to go through the journey and pay attention and put my hard-earned money into a a you know cinematic universe where I can't predict the outcomes. And I think the last time Marvel like truly surprised me from a plot perspective was in uh, Winter Soldier when it turned out Shield was Hydra. Yeah, where I was just like, what? I did not see that coming. Right. You know, since then, there's been a level of predictability, and, you know, and some of that's been good. Some of that's been mediocre and some of it's been bad. Yeah. You know, so for example, Age of Ultron, I really like that movie. It was pretty predictable. Yeah. You know, but I really liked it. Yeah. You know, Doctor Strange, pretty predictable. Didn't really like it. Did not like it. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I am uh, getting bogged down in the past movies. What was your favorite moment if you had a favorite moment of this new movie? If I had a favorite moment, um, it's interesting. I don't know if, if this will probably change a lot, um, but I really, really dug um, Thor and Rocket going to get the axe um, from Idri the Dwarf and the appearance of Peter Dinklage, where we're all, all so excited to see who he finally was. Um, and that entire sequence of forging the axe and restarting the nebula and Thor, you know, holding open the the dying star and then Groot finally as a teenager who doesn't care about anything suddenly being like, oh, this is really important to them and sacrificing, you know, his arm and his twigs to create the stem or the handle for the, the axe for Stormbreaker. I thought that was like a really cool sequence and that just really stuck with me. Yeah, I I loved everything about Thor interacting with Rocket. Yeah, calling him Rabbit. Yeah, I, I, you know, the fact that Thor doesn't know 
you know, what earth, a raccoon earth is, animals, yeah. <laughs> you know, like he, he's from Asgard. He's, he doesn't know the difference between a rabbit and a raccoon. He doesn't, you know? it, it doesn't matter. They're vermin and yeah. he's a god. Yeah. That's something that just doesn't happen in Asgard. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I loved everything about them interacting. I loved Peter Dinklage yeah. uh, showing up as the dwarf. I, I loved when Thor finally, you know, shows up at the battle wielding. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. I was, I was cheering. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a truly, all of that was the truly fantastic, you know, Thor is one of the like characters that I think Marvel has really figured out. Yeah. You know, recently, like they've really made Thor so much more interesting and cool as time has gone on. Yeah. Which comes from like an understanding of not only the like tone and character of the comics, but also like a, a true understanding of who they have cast as this person. And they're like, we can actually get so much more out of him than we thought. Um, which I think is amazing. So, um, yeah, Thor has, has really grown. What would you say your favorite part was? That's uh, hard. Yeah. You know, for me to, to pin down a favorite part, I really liked, um, Thanos's evil wizard, uh, blanking on his name. Ebony Maw. Ebony Maw. He was great. Yeah. Was fantastic. The rest of the Black cool. Order I could take or leave, but they were more just generic. Yeah. You know, there you know, to to do Thanos's bidding, but he I thought they did a, a little they just made him a little more poetic. They had much more of a character. His interactions with Doctor Strange were really cool. They called him Squidward. I really liked when Doctor Strange uh, was fighting Thanos at the very end. So the whole sequence with Iron Man, Peter Quill, Drax, um, Mantis, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, all yeah. teaming up on Thanos. And that that battle sequence... That was great. ...was all very cool. And, you know, Doctor Strange came out with some amazingly cool powers. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really neat and interesting. I'd say the biggest, like, whoa moment was everything around the soul gem when yeah. Gilmora leads Thanos there, when it turns out that the red skull is there. He's the, he's the guardian of the, the soul stone. Yeah. And you know, when we see just before then that Gilmora does have some affection for Thanos when she thinks that she's killed him, how she cries and their interactions leading up to that, where they say to get the soul stone, Thanos must sacrifice something that you know she or that he loves, and she thinks we've got him. Yeah. Thanos is incapable of love. You don't love anything. Everything to you is just something that you can use or destroy or control. And then realizing that oh shit, there is one thing Thanos does love. Yeah, that was a pretty uh, it's pretty Gil hard to it's, the heart. It's Gilmora. Yeah, and when he is crying, and she goes, "You're crying," and the Red Skull goes. Those are not tears for him. It was like, oh, fuck, he's going to kill Gamora. Yeah. And when he sacrifices Gamora, that was like, whew, man, that was like, you've been studying your Greek tragedies. For sure. Yeah, it's very, um, yeah, it's very Agamemnon. Absolutely. Yeah. It is sacrificing your daughter so that you can go to the Trojan War. Oh, man. You know, it is the, you know, how do you get to where you need to be? You know, Thanos says, I once resisted my call to my destiny and I can't do that anymore. And I like that we don't know what that was. 
the time where he resisted his destiny. You can surmise maybe that was saving his planet. That was Titan. Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe that's what it was. He he resisted doing it then, and his planet died. You know, but the idea is like nothing will stand in my way for me to achieve my destiny. At all costs, I will complete the Infinity Gauntlet, and I will complete my genocidal mission. If that means destroying the only thing that I actually care about in the whole universe, I'll do it, was just awesome. Yeah, and it's the culmination of that theme of of utilitarianism, of sacrificing one for for the greater good, whatever that may be, or whatever your skewed perception may lead you to think that that is. Um, and we see so many of those characters grappling with that same issue. Um, and then Thanos, who is the guy that we follow the closest, the guy whose arc we are are the closest to, makes that sacrifice and is able to move forward. Um, and he's given kind of a traditional hero's journey in that way. Break that down for our listeners. Because yeah. I totally agree with you, but yeah. go into more detail, please. Well, I think it's so interesting that he gets this because, you know, he's a terrifying monster. He's a mad titan. Um, but Thanos embarks on a journey at the beginning of this. He's like, I am getting close to getting my infinity stones. So he leaves where he was and he travels through the universe and goes through trials to gain each of these magical boons. Uh, and he, he traverses all of these different tribulations, uh, and then has to make the ultimate sacrifice and change, you know, change who he is, transform, essentially grow up um, by pushing the past, this love that he has for Gamora off a cliff, transforming into the new person that he's going to be. And because of that, he's able to achieve his ultimate goal and essentially return to the paradise that he once lived in. Uh, I don't know if we're very sure where he is at the end. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, But wherever he is, it's the vision that he had of Titan when it was at its, its heights. It was a beautiful, uh, you know, paradise that he can watch a sunset and feel at peace and feel like he has everything that he needs. Um, And so we, we watch him take the same journey as Luke Skywalker or Frodo Baggins uh, just in a, a really kind of twisted murderous monstrous way yeah he is the he is the shadow version yeah of that traditional hero's journey and kudos to marvel for making the villain the main character you know there's been a lot said that marvel has a a a villain problem you know if you uh if you don't believe me listeners go ahead and google it there's articles and essays discussions podcasts all about marvel's lack of interesting villains And I would say that they've done a lot to correct that in my view. And this movie is as much a movie of of villainy as it is anything else. Yeah. But there's, we have to to make sure we, we give credit where it's due. There is only one reason they could make this a movie about a villain arc. There's only one reason that the main character of this could be Thanos. And that's because 10 years of groundwork were laid. That's because we have spent three movies with Captain America, with Thor, with Iron Man. We spent uh, two movies with the Guardians of the Galaxy. We've spent, you know, one movie with Spider-Man, one movie with Doctor Strange, and so on and so forth. And we have gotten to know them and their relationships to each other through those uh, those earlier films. And so this very much is a a triumph, I think, of intertextuality 
which is, uh, it's basically, it just means that uh, a piece of text or a piece of art or an object therein points to other pieces of text or art to remind you of something else, which I think sometimes can be a problem. But in this movie, they use that. They use that intertextuality to say, we've already done that. You understand what these people mean to each other. You understand what's important about these stakes. And now we can introduce a really interesting, unexpected new risk like a villain as the main character. Yeah, and intertextuality, you know, can often be in discussing storytelling, it can be a bit of a dirty word because it is easy to use intertextuality, pardon me, as a crutch. Yeah. It's easy to say, I know everyone knows who Darth Vader is, so I don't need to spend a lot of time with Darth Vader if he's going to be in my story. And I'm going to throw in lots of Darth Vader-y things rather than create my own story, be like, let's draw from the well of all of the great Darth Vader-ness. Yeah. And let's just show Darth Vader killing people. Yeah. Right? And we don't need a lot of context. And sometimes that can be a real easy way to get people to cheer. Yeah. What I like about where you're going with intertextuality as it pertains to the infinity war is that they did not make get lazy because of it. Yeah. Well, there's, it's funny. There's one like really explicit uh, piece of intertextuality in, uh, in the middle of the movie when they're on uh, the, the spaceship heading toward Titan and they're trying to get rid of Emity Maw and they're trying to come up with a plan. And Spider-Man's like, did you ever see this really old movie aliens? And then they recreate a sequence from aliens essentially uh, just by planting that seed and then blowing a hole in the ship so that Ebony Ma gets sucked out. It's like, Hey, remember this thing? Oh, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work and it's done. You can use it as kind of an easy way out. I'm not saying I had any issue with that scene or you can use it in a way that sets up and creates a platform to take greater risks and to do more interesting, innovative storytelling. All right. So I'm glad that you pointed that out because to me, that is like quadruple intertextuality. It's meta. So it starts with in Marvel civil war, us seeing Spider-Man who's a character. We know the origin story from yeah, other yeah. movies. We know what his motivation is. We know his name. We know how he got his powers. It's never even addressed in the MCU and he's in civil war and he references when Ant-Man becomes giant man. Yeah. He references Empire Strikes Back as an idea on how to take down Ant-Man, which he wraps up his legs That's the way right. Luke Skywalker yeah. wraps up the AT-AT Walker. I forgot about that. Now we are here in Infinity War and we have already, we I think uh, we've already seen Tony Stark kind of like rebuke Spider-Man, like stop making pop culture references. Yeah. And here he is when they're confronted with a space wizard that is more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme. They're like, what do we do? Spider-Man goes to his, you know, aliens well, and then uses that as the ploy to shook and defeat this wizard. Yeah. So like there's to me that there's so much work that went into that, why that works, that it's, it's not lazy. You know, it's in fact incredibly complex and clever and they did the work and um, 
And assuming that we have seen everything, it works on many layers. And even if Infinity War is your first Marvel movie that you see, which it shouldn't be, even if it is, that scene would still land. Yeah. But because we have seen all of the Star Wars movies, I'm sorry, all of the (laughs) Spider-Man movies, we've read all of the Spider-Man comics, we know the Spider-Man's history in the MCU, that totally just like knocks it out of the park. Yeah, and it gives us credit, right? It it gives credit to its audience and says, we know you've been on this journey with us for 10 years. We thank you for putting your faith in this shared universe and for making this one of the most popular things that people go out to do, go see Marvel movies. We thank you for that, and now we're going to reward you for that, which I think is, is quite great. I think it's a it's a great way to structure your movie if you have if you have put in the work and you've put in the time and you want to pay it off. Yeah, and it does make looking back over the last decade of investing in Marvel movies, building to this one point and this movie being everything as promised and a total with with surprises. So everything as promised and shocked and surprised and sad. And I laughed and I was on the edge of my seat and I cheered and I cried. I it, cried a lot. Yeah. It, it it says, okay, yeah, that 10 years, this journey was worth it. And I don't think any other studio really could do what they did. Yeah. You know, I think other studios have tried to to follow the Marvel sort of blueprint and it just hasn't been as successful. And you know, 10 years of movies and here we are and they just made their best movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a really, really impressive thing. And again, I'll say I was really doubtful that they would be able to pull this off and stick the landing. And I really think they have, um, you know, we, we obviously know this isn't the end of the MCU and there's a lot more to come. Um, but I, I think this movie is, is exactly what it is. It, it is there to look back to the the 10 years of movies before it, but to be really very much its own thing. The story is here and now, and you feel it, and you are there, regardless of what happened in the past, regardless of what's going to happen in the future. And they killed half of their heroes. And they killed and Spider-Man. Spider-Man being one of them. Yeah. That was, so when T'Challa disappears into smoke and ash, you know, like, and the way they shot that, I thought he wasn't, you know? And then when he does, I'm like, fuck Black Panther. Yeah. You know? And then to go to then Titan and to see all the other Guardians except for Rocket, you know? And then to see Spider-Man being like, oh, I don't feel so good. And to have, like, him die in Tony Stark's arms, it was truly just at uh, just a gut punch like i'm i'm tearing up just thinking about and it and it's important for so many reasons right for so many intertextual reasons because we care about peter parker and we've always cared about peter parker we love him everybody loves him whether he's tom holland or toby maguire we love spider-man, Spider-Man and we don't want to see man. him go and he's a kid and he doesn't deserve this you know he he has just gotten into this because he thinks it's going to be great and he's got a good heart and he wants to do good things but he doesn't deserve to die. He doesn't deserve to turn into ash. But also we know that this relationship is important, Tony Stark and Peter Parker. And all of what was laid in Spider-Man Homecoming is a huge part of that. But I even look at the first scene with Iron Man in this movie in Infinity War, 
and he's talking to Pepper Potts and is like, do you ever have a dream where you have to pee and then in real life you have to pee? Well, I dreamed that we had a kid. And he is excited by the idea of being a father. Kind of for the first time, that responsibility is exciting to him. And then to see the only like surrogate son he's ever known dissolve in his arms, to see that failure of fatherhood after all this time of that responsibility. It's, it's, it's devastating. Absolutely. And it's fucking Spider-Man. Yeah. So I, let's talk a little bit about where this may be going. I know I mentioned that that's not the most important thing to me right now, but we should talk about it. Yeah. So, and the one, I think clue that we can gleam is, uh, there is a scene in which Dr. Strange goes into a, time meditative sort of trance and he looks at all of the potential futures in which they battle Thanos and says out of 14 million, there's only one of them in which they win. Right. We also see that, uh, Dr. Strange before then saying under no circumstances ever, am I going to sacrifice this infinity stone? My duty is to protect the stone and I will protect the stone at all costs, even and, others' lives. Yeah, he explicitly says if it comes down to having to protect Iron Man or Spider-Man or the stone, he's going to choose the stone. He'll sacrifice them any day. So per- perplexingly, Iron Man is impaled. Thanos is ready to finish him off. Thanos even recognizes Tony Stark and says, yeah, I've heard of you. I know about you, Tony Stark. And... And Doctor Strange says, no, wait, I'll give you the stone if you let him live. Yeah, which is a total reversal of what he said without a whole lot of um, explanation or a, or a lot of bargaining for that. And then after that, Thanos takes the stone and then goes to Earth to get the Mind Stone, in which Doctor Strange says, you know, we're now in the, the end. You know, like the end conditions. I forget the exact line. End game, yeah. Yeah, we're now in the end game here. So this leads me to believe that he has seen every possible future and knows that the only way for Thanos to truly be stopped is for Tony Stark to be alive. Right. Which makes sense considering that Iron Man's kind of been the main hero through most of the MCU. And he kicked it off. He started the MCU with Iron Man. 2008, the first Iron Man movie, started what became the MCU as we know it. Exactly. Um, So it leads me to believe that Strange realizing, hey, okay, in order for this to get right, there has to be an Iron Man, so I can't let Iron Man die here, so I have to give up the stone. And I don't think that's a leap. I think that is pretty clear. Yeah, I think that's there. Um, Yeah, that's that's an important clue for us to look forward to the future. So there is a part two, um, probably this time next year, and we'll see the culmination of that and what that looks like. The other interesting um, question I want to explore is, uh, you know, what happens to all of those people who get dissolved? Are they really dead or are they trapped somewhere? And the clue we get for that is um, what happens right after Thanos snaps his fingers. Uh, he seemingly is transported to a sort of orange glowing place that has a little cupola under which stands the five-year-old version of Gamora when he ravaged her homeworld and adopted her. And he confronts her and uh, she, you know, asked 
as, as we said, you know, did you get what you wanted? What did it cost? It cost me everything. Um, but the orange glow of the place, one of the theories out there is that he's actually been transported inside the soul stone, which is why he sees Gamora, because she is the sacrificed soul tied to that artifact. Um, and so there's a lot of questions out there about whether the souls who were vaporized have actually just been transported to this soul world, which is something I think we've seen in the comics as well. Yeah, so the idea that maybe none of these people are dead, but they're actually they're in some kind of in, limbo in this this you know i think i think the the chances that you know black panther and spider-man are like dead and out of the mcu seem to be slim considering that these two movies just happened and they were huge successes huge box office and critical successes yeah you know it seems it seems slim that you know doctor strange they won't do another doctor strange movie but who knows really Right. Like, who really knows? I didn't see this coming. And since I didn't see this coming, I, I can't say I, I know where it's going. I think Iron Man needed to be alive, and Doctor Strange knew that. Whether or not another character can wield the gauntlet and undo the mass genocide and bring those those dead back, I don't know. I do think the characters slaughtered before the universal genocide are dead yeah, and probably won't come yeah, back. We won't see Loki again, you know, and who knows what we, we may see Gamora since her soul is tied to the soul stone. Right. Uh, we may see her in some form or another, but yeah, we're Loki's gone. Yeah. Loki was just totally like killed. And even Thanos said there'll be no resurrections this time. It's very, very sad. Yeah. So Loki is great. Yeah. Loki is fantastic and totally got destroyed by Thanos. And then of course we can't forget the uh, post credit scene where we see the havoc that's been wrought on the regular world outside of Wakanda, outside of Titan, just in New York city as you know, suddenly helicopters are losing their pilots and flying into buildings and cars are losing their drivers and people are evaporating on the sidewalk. Um, we see Maria Hill and Nick Fury driving and recognizing all of this havoc. And then as they are dissolving themselves, uh, Nick Fury tries to send a, a page message. He tries to page somebody. And at the very last moment, we see a symbol pop up on the pager and it's the symbol of Captain Marvel. Right. But so we know Nick Fury's contacting Captain Marvel. And we know that there's a Captain Marvel movie coming up. Yeah. And we know that the Captain Marvel movie takes place in the 90s before all of this. So I think it's reasonable to assume Captain Marvel will play heavily in hopefully undoing the damage that Thanos has done. Yeah. And defeating Thanos. So, but those are those are all speculation, and heaven knows, you know, all of the spe speculation around this movie in general was wrong. <laughs> and we'll be talking about yeah. it until we know. Yeah. And that's just amazing that Marvel was able to to just make a movie that all of us are going to be discussing and debating and dissecting until we see it. This is the, um, you know, Empire Strikes Back moment. Yeah where it ends with Luke Skywalker learning that his father is Darth Vader and everyone has to wait to see what happens. We see Thanos wipe out everybody. Yeah. I think it's telling that of the survivors, all of the original Avengers were not destroyed. Right. Which to me means 
it's going to take that core to really come together to finally defeat Thanos. Yeah. Well, because we've seen them come together and then be so fractured by the last few movies, it would feel, I think it would feel cheap for this entire saga to wrap up with them in shambles. You know, they have to have another shot at coming back together without Tony Stark and Iron Man finally becoming a team again. Yeah. Even if it kills them, Uh, Tony and cap, I'm sorry, Tony and cap. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is just a little bit of a boomerang, but I just thought it was interesting that you called it the Empire Strikes Back moment. And I had that same uh, impression afterwards. I was like, oh yeah, this is probably how it felt when people left the theater at Empire Strikes Back. It's like, oh fuck, everybody's screwed. Um, but I think it's interesting that within four months of The Last Jedi, a movie with a sort of similar um, similar scale, similar scope, um, ends with a similar cliffhanger, if you will. Uh, we've got the two like biggest movies of the year uh, that came out and left our characters completely down and out. The villains win. Uh, and I just wonder, you know, what does that say about us, about what we're craving right now as an audience? Is that saying that we're kind of fed up with the formula, fed up with the most obvious um, happy endings and ready for more complicated storytelling, even in our summer blockbusters? That's a really interesting question. So, Let's say the MCU was finished and Infinity War was its last movie. We would be fucking devastated. We would be rioting. Yeah. Yeah. We would be like, I would be devastated. I'd be like, it's going to end with Spider-Man dying and that's it. Thanos wins. Right. And gets to live happily ever after. No more MCU. You know, like, so I think to me, part of building a successful serialized um, story involves necessary uh, cliffhangers, necessary endpoints that don't you where you don't feel the full catharsis, right? We we yearn actually for Return of the Jedi's. Yeah, we want to see our heroes triumph. Yeah, it's like it's dissonance. And the fact that we're at a point where in the MCU the heroes have failed, the villain has won. I think to me is more and we and and the shock in all of that is a no Marvel movie has done that yet. It always ends with the heroes winning. Yeah. And going home, you know, and and I think that shock is is palpable, but I don't think it's a deeper lesson. I think it is actually drawing on the strength of the serialization be like the bad guy is won, the good guys have been decimated. Now what? Yeah. And now and let's having, see you get out of this one. Having the Infinity War one for calling it Infinity War One for lack of a better term. I don't know what the next movie is going to be called. Right. Or well, so the Infinity War's over. They lost. Yeah. Having lost the Infinity War, where our heroes go from here, how they band together to to survive and to ultimately write this will be the next chapter. And that will be about them. Yeah. Right? That will be about how they can finally overcome this essentially God, you know, that has the ability to control all reality and uses that power maliciously and viciously. How they are able to overcome this living God will be the next installment. I think we're going to yearn for that complete catharsis. Yeah, I agree. So I don't think we're at a point where our appetites are any real different. You know, I think that that that's still the same. And that's something that if you're going to be writing, 
these big budget extended universes, you have to understand that sometimes you got to have the bad guys win. Right. And so George Lucas knew that and Marvel is, is following in that, that suit, even though it's, they're very different. Yeah. You know, but that's where I think we're at. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, do you have any final thoughts about infinity war? Man, I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. I really want black Panther and Spider-Man to not permanently be dead. Right. I really hope that's not the case. And I am looking forward to Thanos getting his ass kicked, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I stand corrected in my, in my lack of faith in this movie. Um, I'm really, I'm happy that they pulled it off and I'm really impressed. Um, and I'm also interested in, in the coming days and weeks and rewatches, digging more into those themes that were laid out and seeing, you know, what is the real moral, um, truth that's being put forth by the MCU at large, because I think this theme of sacrificing one for the greater good echoes through so many of these movies if you look back. And so I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see how they string those threads together and where this universe eventually lands. To me, I think it always lands in the, the idea of sacrificing your principles to gain a goal is always going to lend you in the wrong spot. Yeah. I think that is a consistent lesson we've seen from the MCU. Yeah. Whereas the the characters that tend to do the best, that tend to thrive, are the ones that fight for their principles and won't bend or break them. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably why I'm always on Team Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all I got. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. And... Um, let us know what you think. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, hit us up on social media. We're at the Midnight Myth on Twitter, at Midnight Myth Podcast on Instagram, and we're on Facebook. Um, check out our website www.midnightmyth.com for more information. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, make sure you hit subscribe and leave us a rating or a review if you have time. And until next time, guys, be kind. Be kind. Be kind.